everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller, Regional Master Instructor, here with my fellow Regional Master Instructor and dear friend, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you doing today? I am good, Marty. How are you? Great. I'm looking forward to today's topic because we did an instructor, a Master Instructor Roundtable a month ago on the subsystems. And guess what? We listened. People asked questions. And now we're going to start with the deep longitudinal subsystem. And I guess pun intended, we're going to go a little deeper on this one specifically. And then in the coming weeks, we'll kind of go through the other three. Yes. I mean, I think that's the big key is, you know, yes, there are four subsystems and we're going to talk about them individually, but I, I really want to reinforce and, and stress the fact that, you know, we have four subsystems and they really do work together. Um, when we talk about the kinetic chain, as we know, the entire body works together. So when we start talking and individualizing these subsystems, keep in mind that they do work with each other, especially when you look at this deep longitudinal one, because for me, I find this fascinating. This is probably one of my, my favorite to learn. <laughs> there you go. I say I learned something new already. And I'm glad you said it that way, Wendy, because we always talk about we train movements, not muscles. But even when we train a movement pattern and we may be primarily targeting our movement from, let's say, the deep longitudinal subsystem, that doesn't mean that the lateral subsystem is dormant. Maybe its role is to stabilize. And, and we'll tie this together as we go. But as Wendy said so eloquently, we're going to talk about the deep longitudinal subsystem and its prime focus and its prime uh, movement patterning and how to train it. But again, we have to tie it in with all the other three subsystems. Yes. And if you need to go back and listen to it, we did that. That's what ended up. We, and we got some great feedback. So we really, really do appreciate the emails that have been coming through or the DMs that we're getting um, just, you know, asking more questions to dive deeper. So we really appreciate that because, again, we do these for you guys. And if there's something specific that you want to, um, you know, for us to discuss, Marty and I, we really welcome those because we want to make sure that we're talking about topics that you either want to learn more about, or maybe are confused about, or maybe just didn't, you know, you just love it and you want us to talk about it. So. <laughs> right. Agreed. We are here for you. How about this? Let's dive in. So um, if we look at just kind of the overview of everything that we're going to talk about today, again, we are talking about the deep longitudinal subsystem. Um, we're going to discuss the primary role in human movement that this subsystem has. And then we're going to discuss the specific integration exercises that we target when we're really focusing on the deep longitudinal subsystems. Absolutely. And, you know, I think this, I think we've kind of purposely started with this one because I think it's uh, fairly easy to understand. And a lot of our movements in everyday life are in that sagittal plane. And you're going to see that the deep longitudinal subsystem plays a huge role in how we move ourselves, hopefully efficiently, in the sagittal plane. Yes, and I think um, you know one thing that that made it easier for me to understand. And I know we're going to actually go over the muscles, and we're going to dive. Um, you know, I keep saying dive deep into it, but but I mean we really are. You know, if you think about the deep longitudinal subsystem and what it does, and and we're going to talk about its specific patterning. And we did talk about how we do use all four subsystems. It's very, very important to think about this. If you have any compensation, one of the subsystems or all these subsystems will be affected in one way or another, especially this one. And so if you have overactivity in the posterior oblique or even the you know posterior oblique subsystem or the lateral um, subsystem, and those are 
underactive and they're not doing the role that it's supposed to do, the leap, the deep longitudinal system usually takes over. So oftentimes you're going to notice that the muscles that make up the subsystems are usually overactive. And so if that's one of the things and why we love what NASM has done, because we provided that solutions table. So as we're going through the muscles and as we're really taking it a step further, think about the muscles we're talking about and, the, and how common those muscles are in you know, be becoming overactive and causing those compensations. Because if you see an arch fall, you see a foot turnout or a knee cave in or an anterior pelvic tilt, the po posterior subsystem and the lateral sub subsystem aren't working like they should. So the deep longitudinal subsystem truly has to do more than it was intended to do. Yeah. And I know we're not going to get into this today, but this could be an another topic is when we look at program design, we always talk about simple to complex and a lot of people on the NASM Facebook page, which I encourage you to go on and become a member of because there's so many key discussions that happen is they'll say, well, I don't understand how to program design. And I'm like, okay, let's go back to what you learned. It's corrective exercise. If you have that background stability, then strength and power. But within that, I'm going to move somebody first in the sagittal plane because they're probably most comfortable with that. So you could say the deep longitudinal system is the prime. Then I'm going to start bringing in the other subsystems or getting them to move in the frontal plane and transverse plane. And what you're doing is you're starting to get them out of their primary subsystem and starting to move them and put more reliance on the other subsystems. But we have to correct this subsystem first or we're going to have problems. Absolutely. And those of you guys that are just joining Marty Miller and I on the Master Instructor Roundtable this week, we're, we're talking about the deep longitudinal subsystem specifically, even though they all four work together. So let's go, let's go to the next slide and, and talk about some of the, the muscles and, and, you know, what truly make up the deep longitudinal subsystems. So of course, you want to think about, you know, we could start bottom up or, or top down either way. But if we look, you know, we want to focus on the erector spinae. And again, if there's that anterior pelvic tilt, that's what we were talking about, especially when, when you're looking at the, um, the, the fascial and the lower back. So think about the fascial tissue that comes up and makes the lats. That's, you know, a part of it as well. You got your sacrotribius ligament, your bicep femoris, the tibialis anterior, and then of course the peroneals, which is what I've always called it. I will call I it till, till I die, I'm sure. I was um, waiting. So, I was waiting. I'm like, she's not going with Fiblaris longest. Like, Fiblaris longest. Um, yeah. You know, either way, I know that's in the new textbooks. I know I need to get out of my way. I know that I'm aging, <laughs> but aren't we all? You know, I'm. Huh? Aren't we all aging technically? Well, you know, I'm tempted to stop. I think after this birthday, I'm just going to stay put for a while. <laughs> that, that could be a whole nother topic of, for discussion. <laughs> I'm embracing my knowledge as I, as I, you know, as I become wiser. How about that? <laughs> Absolutely. But you know what, Wendy, I think that the thing is you and I know this, so I don't want to kind of just bypass it is if you start from the foot up, which Wendy, you and I tend to do that. Cause again, we're going to talk about ground reaction forces is if I remember the slide correctly, the first one you have on there is the erector spinae. People need to realize the erector spinae go all the way up to the cervical spine. So what happens with your foot in contact with the ground absolutely can translate up. And Wendy and I have both worked with some amazing athletes and we've had people with shoulder issues that the, pro the pain is in the shoulder and we have to treat that but the dysfunction is all the way at the foot and ankle could be the same side, opposite side, but because the, of the way the body is connected in these subsystems, what happens at the foot and ankle will absolutely affect everything else above it. 
Yes. And I always tell people one of the most important joints in the body. What would you think it is, Marty? I think you're going to go with big toe. Absolutely. MTP, MTP joint, y'all. If it doesn't move, it's going to affect everything else. So Not that I've heard you say that about 700 times, but it's a safe bet. <laughs> but you know what? It'll be 700 more until they tell me that I need to step down from my position here. So. Right. right. <laughs> Let's move on to the next slide. <laughs> We're having fun today. That's all that matters. I know. Every day. Every day, yeah. Marty. Yep. So I, I liked when we put this slide in because of really, truly the imaging. And I think... <laughs> Wendy, when you and I got in this industry, we kind of knew this, but I'm so glad to see how things are evolving that more and more people in the fitness industry have heard the term ground force reaction. You know, what happens at my feet? Do I use the ground well to produce force in the opposite direction? And this is the thing that you've heard me say 700 times is everybody's an athlete. So I don't care if you're looking to hit a golf ball 300 yards or if you're looking to just go for a walk, pick up your grandchild, you're still requiring your body to put force into the ground, activate the deep longitudinal subsystem to generate energy upwards. Now, Wendy, as you've said, we're not only generating force in that sagittal plane. So yes, these other subsystems kick in, but it's truly what happens with your foot and ankle at the ground, the big toe, that sets you up for success, whether you wanna walk, right? Whether you want to run, whether you want to jump, whether you want to swing and implement, it doesn't matter. So you'll see here that the deep longitudinal subsystem provides that longitudinal means of reciprocal. So feedback of force transmission from the trunk to the ground. Yes. And I think, you know, when you're looking at your athletes now, and I know we did this when we were doing some of the, you know, looking at some of our, our younger athletes that were getting ready to go into college, um, we looked at a lot of different types of assessments and they actually have force plates now. Right. And, you know, it really does provide a lot of wonderful information because you've got to think when you approach these, these plates and then you pull up on a bar and you're trying to, you know, generate force, it allows those plates to show are, you know, are you evenly producing force throughout your foot and the ground? And so I find that stuff absolutely fascinating. Um, I don't get to do those very often because I don't have the equipment. So anytime I get to see any of those assessments, I run towards it as fast as I can, because the data that you can get tells you a lot about compensations and what's happening on the dominant side versus the non-dominant side. Because as we know, looking at biomechanics and human movement, if we can equal those out, they're going to be able to reduce the chances of injury and produce more power. Well, you and I both know from our mentor, Dr. Mike Clark, is we have to look at symmetrical, sufficient and symmetrical, mm -hmm. right? So sufficient is, are you meeting the bar, the minimum requirement to participate in the activity, right? Elite athletes, they're going to have to have more fill in the blank uh, to be sufficient, but are you symmetrical? And Wendy, you know that there's a particular treadmill that I'm incredibly fond of because as I'm doing a sled push, I can see what's going on with that ground force reaction, right versus left leg. And that data is key because sometimes that data will tell me what's going on with this subsystem before the person even sees the issue, right? So, and, you know, I also think that when you look at athletics, and again, I'm still going to talk about how everyone's an athlete, is the strongest athlete doesn't always win. The most powerful athlete generally wins. So we, again, have to move through the entire spectrum of the OPT model. The PES powers not just for your elite athletes. It's for anybody that wants to be more athletic. And if we can do that by training our subsystems and going through the different phases of training, and you can generate more power, 
you're going to find out that a lot of the power you're trying to generate in the majority of exercises requires your foot to be planted on something. And then you push through. And then that's how your arm, your limb, your tennis racket generates the force that you need. Uh, and I mean, even if you're not thinking about sports guys, we need power in general. And so it doesn't matter if you're eight or 80. I mean, you still need whatever is powerful for you. And that's why, you know, we really focus so much on individualizing our program design and looking at the assessments. And the more data that you get, the more specific you can make those programs. So the better off you're going to be to end up getting those clients to power, like a true power superset phase five program. Um, and again, it's not about the age because we've got the, you know, your numerical age, and then you've got, you know, your, your age that you feel like you act like, and you move like there's totally, they're totally different. Um, mo most of the time, because I know my number and the way that I act, they don't usually line up. <laughs> no, I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> and today, Marty Miller and I on master instructor, <laughs> master instructor roundtable are talking about the deep longitudinal subsystem. And so far, we've talked about the um, areas and, and um, parts of the body that make up the deep longitudinal subsystem. We talked about, obviously, the importance of ground reaction forces. So now if we move on to the next slide, we're going to start really kind of digging in a little bit deeper about the primary function. So Marty, you want to take this one? Yeah, we, we could have put a lot of different exercises in here. So we want to kind of capture some things that are easiest to see, like have that aha moment. So clearly, if we start left to right, you got the female athlete there doing a jump. Now that jump, she might be playing elite sports or she might just be doing a boot camp or some type of high intensity training within a fitness facility, you name it. But you can see how she has to, she would have used the ground to push through all of that anatomy that Wendy laid out drive through the hips and generate force so that way she can leave the ground but then you have single leg versions of it as well when you're running or walking you're constantly changing left right left right left right by activating the deep longitudinal subsystem and they are doing the reciprocal of each other right when one is propelling the other one would be decelerating and vice versa and then even your certain exercises whether you're doing a deadlift whether you're picking up bags of groceries whether you're picking up your grandchild you name it, suitcases, everybody needs to be able to uh, have a hopefully highly functioning deep longitudinal subsystem within their capabilities and then progress through the model. I have to say, I would say the person on the left looks like she's at the beach. She does. Know. Beach volleyball yeah. is what I'm And wearing. I don't know about you, but when I run, I sure don't look like the chick in the, in the, in the middle picture. So... Or the That's how I like to run, like prance and take photos. Yeah. Oh yes, arms out. Yeah, right. I mean, right. you know, whatever's whatever's working for. Her. So, but she clearly, seems to get that height, she's got to have a pretty good deep longitudinal substance. <laughs> she does absolutely, and I know some of my favorite too. I mean, even you know, one of the exercises that I like to do with this is you know back extensions because again, right. we've got to think about the muscles that we're trying to activate. Um, you know, single leg Romanian deadlifts are are commonly used. I like step ups in the frontal and the side. Yes. And so, I mean, there, like Marty said, there are so many different um, exercises and that was some of the emails that we were getting. Well, what about this exercise? And what about that exercise? But that's what's important when you're going back, hopefully, and reviewing this later, really focus on the areas that we discussed about the deep longitudinal subsystems and think what would be the primary movement in order to get those to contract. And then at that point, then you know that you're really working those, those, um, those muscles accordingly. Yeah, and I know I can speak for Wendy on, on this, is when we talk to our client or peer-to-peer, -peer, we are going to name exercises. But when we are racking our brain on what we want to do, 
in our brain, we're thinking of movement patterning, progressions, regressions, sequencing, where are they at? Like, just so how can I activate that? Then we call it an exercise. But I think far too many people in fitness that are either new to it and they pass the exam and then they start thinking about what exercise do I need? They don't take that time to pause, go what movement pattern, what part of the movement pattern are they able to control? How do I break down the entire movement pattern into small chunks? Like you talked about a back extension, right? We're showing here the complete activation mm -hmm. of the deep longitudinal subsystem, right? So I think that those are, and this is why it's so important to understand this is, can you look at a movement pattern? Can you break it down in chunks, program so that way there's progressions and regressions, and then eventually kind of like with our CES, have those integration exercises that bring it all to life. So that way they're doing the entirety of that movement pattern when it's appropriate. Absolutely. So yes, it has to be activated. You have to move correctly. And then when you do put it all together, it's you're going to be so explosive. It's amazing. <laughs> but you know, I think Marty too, you make a good point. And I, and I, before we even moved on, I, I think it's important to really stress that if you're new to this content, it can be a little bit overwhelming. And that's why we try to do these is to try to simplify what does the book mean and what does all this mean? And so I'm going to have Marty talk about this next slide because he breaks it down very, very well. But as, as Marty just said, it's important as trainers for us to understand the four different subsystems and how we move and how we apply this type of movement. What are the exercises that are going to make sure that we're executing good uh, um, movement patterns um, and how do we integrate things all together? So very well said. But remember, Marty and I can talk and uh, say all these fancy words. We can try to talk and sound like a textbook. But at the end of the day, if no one understands it, it's not going to be beneficial for anyone. So just because you can say big words doesn't mean that you're actually, you know, hitting home with your clients. So we want you guys to be able to take this and understand it because you want to think about biomechanics and human movement science to better perform the exercises. But if you start talking subsystems with your clients, you've lost them and they don't care. They, they're there for a specific goal. That's why we do the SMART goals. And that's what you're going to want to keep referencing. But if you can start doing these, you know, it makes it fun on programming too. If you start focusing on different subsystems rather than like you said, Marty, just specific body parts. Right. Just and, wanted to throw that in there. No, I think it was, it was great. And that's going to lead me into this. Wendy and I came from a different background. We both had, you know, we both went to school uh, to study this and, you know, my background coming out was athletic training. So I had to learn all these because I may need to put somebody on a table and isolate where the dysfunction in a joint could be. Wendy had exercise phys and then got into manual therapy. And then she took specializations in neuromuscular therapy. So yeah, this is something that we've always been around, but here's the thing. I had an email from somebody and they were uh, petrified almost on the CES. I said, I don't care if you know the origin insertion in nerves. That's not, that's nice information to know. It's not necessary information to know right now. The key thing is, can you identify movement dysfunction? That's really, if you identify movement dysfunction, you're doing this right here. If you know how to program and create sound exercises in the phases of training and the form and technique is ideal, you're fixing this. So that's the beauty of it. This is the nice to know information, not the need to know information. I encourage you to get more into your anatomy because then you can really program even more specifically. But we put this in here because we don't know who's going to be watching and what level everybody's at. But please don't think you have to be able to name all this. But when I'm done with this slide, if you're like, that totally makes sense on how we're using the ground and how it transmits energy up. That's honestly all I care about. 
Yeah, and I think too, I mean, when we talk about that, I know we're kind of going on some tangent, which Marty and I tend to do often, but but you know, really understanding the focus of and what the prime mover does. Because oftentimes I hear people say, and I and I, you know, I teach in a master's program. And so oftentimes when I'm reading people's, you know, uh, papers and looking at, you know, different assignments, I'll talk about prime movers and they're like, oh yeah, when I'm doing a squat, my prime movers are my quads and my hamstrings, which is incorrect. And so you want to think about, you know, when you're thinking about what the exercise does, you want to think about when you're in, you know, I'm contracting a muscle, what muscle are you trying to focus on? So if you're thinking about a squat or running or any of these types of um, exercises that we're going to talk about, it would be the quads and the glutes. And so it's just hard for people sometimes when you're when you're really trying to break something down. Now, your synergists are your hamstrings and your erectors. So, yes, do you know, do they play a part? Yes. And why? Usually because hip flexors are too tight and glutes don't fire right. So, you know, one of the things that's that's why it's important not to necessarily identify origin and insertion to your point, Marty. That's the things that you want to work on as you grow in our industry. But if you don't know the prime movers of, you know, in an exercise, then are you truly you know, designing the best program to your ability. And, and that I would say you're not. Right. So no, I think very that's, important. that's awesome advice. Um, you know, again, don't worry about these type of things. But as you said, if you know exactly what exercises or muscles you're activating, then uh, this becomes much easier. So I'll, I'll go through the slide real quick, Wendy. It's, it's again, it's wordy. It looks complicated, but really it is very simple. So when we do the live workshops, when I get into this type of content, I know you probably see me do this. First thing I do is I have everybody stand up and I say, okay, I'm going to give you one rule. I want you to stand up and I want you to keep your knees as straight as possible. You're not allowed to bend your knees, but I want you to jump as high as you can. And what's the first thing everyone wants to do is they want to lower themselves. They want to bend their knees so they can absorb energy to push in the opposite direction. That's called the stretch reflex. So now if you look at this individual, if they want to run, they have to put their foot into the ground that firmness of the ground allows them to stretch their muscles and then propel themselves and then they're going to run. So imagine running on a standard track versus a trampoline, right? If I put my foot in the ground on the trampoline, there's going to be less ground force reaction. I'm not going to be as efficient running. I might be bouncy because it's going to propel me, but I think people understand what we're talking about here. So if we start at the bottom with this individual, she's planted her foot on the with her right foot on the ground and from there there's force being transmitted so now if we look at that of what's being transmitted you've got the long head of the bicep which is your major hamstring muscle it attaches into something called the sacrotuberous ligament which is just again something that's in the posterior portion of your pelvis and it attaches so it allows the hamstring to activate on the pelvis this then goes into the sacrum which is the final part of your low back, then as we talked about before, the erector spinae start there and go all the way up throughout your spine and the ribs to your cervical spine. So again, I'm putting my foot in the ground, that force goes through the hamstring, goes into the pelvis through the attachments, and now the erector spinae can be activated from that. And then this increases that tension of that sacral tuberous ligament, transmitting force, stabilizing the SI joint, the sacroiliac joint, and now there's energy being flown up through that whole deep longitudinal subsystem. To me, that is just a very simple way to talk about what happens when I put my foot on the ground and how the energy is transmitted, not just accidentally, but through very specific 
portions of the anatomy in your body. And I think if you look at the picture, I mean, the picture actually shows you as right. she's hitting the ground, well, how are these muscles working? And so, you know, if you're new to this anatomy, just look at the diagrams like, oh, if I do this and this is being pushed down, it's going to generate forth this way. What's your knee doing? Well, if your knee's bending, then what muscles has to contract in order to bend the knee? When it straightens, what muscle has to be able to work? If you're bringing your leg back into hip extension, you know that you don't want it to come from your lower back. It should be coming from your glutes. And so, but this is one of the reasons why I think the overhead squat assessment is so ideal is because this is movement patterns. And we can start to see when someone squats, you know, remember a squat is the same, same as a single leg squat, a lunge, a, a step up. We're going to see the same compensations because we're doing the same movement. It just matters if we're doing it on one leg or two. And so we can really tell a lot about somebody, um, even just by how they walk. You know, if they have some leg swing or do they do they shift from one side to another? You know, how how do they hold themselves when they're walking and transmitting the forces, like you said? Yep. It's I know it sounds simple, but once you, the key thing to me is I don't care how much of the anatomy, you know, if you know how to evaluate movement, the anatomy, then if you study will come. Yes. And it's all about pictures, scattered pictures <laughs> I need color by numbers. <laughs> yes. So we're actually, um, Marty Miller and I on, on the Master Instructor Roundtable are talking about the deep longitudinal subsystem. Marty just talked about seriously what happens once you plant your foot into the ground and how everything starts to absorb the force and transmits the force in order to get certain muscles to activate while others should be relaxing in order to get proper movement patterns done specifically in this subsystem. And, um, you know, Marty, you want to kind of continue on because I know this was kind of like a continuation of that slide. Yeah. So I think the key thing here is then when you move forward, the transfer of force is apparent during normal gait. And again, whether it's walking or running, that's the sequence of what's happening. So as we see here in the next uh, second dot down before our heel strike. So that'll be as I'm coming through that gait cycle before my foot hits the ground, the bicep femoris, that major hamstring muscle activates to eccentrically or eccentric is the deceleration. It's the braking mechanism within our muscles, hip flexion and knee extension. So Wendy did a great job talking about this individual's left leg, what's bringing it back into extension. So as she comes through that cycle and starts to get that foot out in front of her, right? Her hip flexor has to activate to swing through. Her quad would start to activate to extend the knee, but the reciprocal is the hamstring now has to decelerate the extension so that way she doesn't overextend her knee. So everything's just a constant uh, flow of on, off, on, off, or instead of off, concentric, eccentric, concentric, eccentric. So then you'll see here, the anterior tib activates to dorsiflex the foot. So as I come through, my foot has to come up so I don't hit my toe against the ground, right? And I can bring my toe into dorsiflexion, which we know a lot of people are weak in. And then just after heel strike, well, the anterior tip has to switch roles and now it decelerates my foot before I slap into the ground, lowering the foot as that bicep femoris now takes on that next part of its, its engagement. So one of the things here that I'll always see is when I was in my facilities, I would hear people like walking too fast mm -hmm. and I could hear that and I could go yeah. up and say, let me show you an exercise. Because what that audible sound was telling me of their foot drop or slapping is they wanted to run and they couldn't eccentrically control that motion and inevitably they have shin splints or anterior knee pain maybe low back pain because 
we just showed you how that force is going to be transmitted all the way up to the cervical spine from the deep longitudinal subsystem, whether it's working appropriately or inappropriately. So that's where, again, knowing these motions, you can say, hey, you know what? I heard when you were running, I heard that sound. Maybe it's on one foot versus the other. Let me show you how to foam roll your calf stretch your calf, activate your anterior tib so we can integrate that back into normal movement. What you're doing is you're taking a part of the deep longitudinal subsystem that's not working properly, isolating it right now, and then giving them a corrective exercise program or a targeted warm-up so they can do the activation or the activity that they want to do. So to finish here, as the foot comes through, the bicep femoris is then loaded through the lower leg ver uh, via the posterior movement of the fibula. So that's one of your uh, bones, a small bone in your shin. Technical, but if you, again, if you follow the basics, it's very easy to see. You put force into the ground, ground uh, transmits the force up through your body, and then your body goes through a sequence of concentric, eccentric motions, hopefully correctly. So that way you can then propel yourself in the direction that you're intending to go. But I think too, when you're really looking at this and we're talking about the how this actually works, when we're talking about trans, like transmitting force, think about all the muscles that Marty just said. And oftentimes, again, very common compensations, arches are falling in, feet are turning out, knees are caving in, anterior pelvic tilts. And so, you know, if you're, if you, if your feet are turning out, you're lacking dorsiflexion. Well, you need dorsiflexion in order to propel yourself forward in order to accept the weight on the, you know, on the coming up foot. So is 20 degrees of dorsiflexion important? That's ideal, but you definitely need 10 or more in order to try to, you know, walk correctly. So, you know, one of the things that we really try to focus on, and I know that we talk so much about assessments, but if we know that this subsystem tends to be the overactive one because of the flaws in some of the other ones um, with weaker muscles based on common compensations, then if we can really start to focus on just these muscles alone, making sure they've got good link tension relationships, so meaning that they're in the proper length from joint to joint or end to end, and it's contracting and relaxing appropriately, then you're going to have a better outcome and you're going to be able to run not and, and not hear those sounds. Because as Marty said, if you're running, you're walking or you're jumping. And that's one of the things. Think about phase one. We hold that landing because we're trying to teach proper landing mechanics. If you're not able to absorb the force, then you're definitely not going to be able to be as explosive as you want to be as you start lifting, you know, lifting more weight. Because remember, it's more about more than just strength. If you can't stabilize what you have, you're not going to be as strong as, you know, as you could be. And you're definitely not going to be as powerful. No, very well said. So for those of you that are just joining in, thank you so much. Wendy Batts and I are going over the deep longitudinal subsystem today on what it is, what makes it up, how it works, and then also how you can go out and correct it and or train it for your clients. Yeah. With a few little tangents along the way. Never. It's all, it's, it's all valid. It's all valid. So we'll, we'll continue on here. So we've, we've talked about the sacral tuberous ligament. So we've kind of highlighted it there right below that little or next to that blue arrow. So this passes from the sacrum into the shield tuberosities, what we call the sit bones. And this helps stabilize this sacroiliac joint. A lot of people get low back dysfunction and they get SI joint problems. And again, it could be, as we said, what happens at the foot and ankle all the way up. Then distally, superficial um, to the sacral tuberous ligament, there's fibers that diverge over the ischium and merge in with co-joint bicep femoris, and then another hamstring muscle, the semitendinosus tendon. So it connects all the way into that hamstring complex. 
And then on the basis of the anatomic studies and well, I want to make sure I say this right, philogenic models, the sacrotubious ligament is considered to represent a developmental remnant of the origin of the tendon of the long head of the bicep femoris. So fancy stuff for saying that that sacrotubious ligament plays a big part in what goes on at the pelvis from what happens when your foot hits the ground. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the importance of, you know, when we start really looking at the sacrum, you know, and I think that's an area too that, you know, gets locked down and, you know, it should move as you move and rotate, it should actually move a little bit as well. And unfortunately, when you've got overactivity and, you know, some of these areas, it's not going to allow that to happen, which will cause even more stress and more discomfort because we don't really say we can't deal with pain, but it'll cause discomfort in low back. And so, you know, if you start to see that, then start looking at these different areas. I mean, yes, this is a ligament, but it's still very, very important. And if you've got something that's compressing it or it's not allowed to, you know, with any of the muscles, if it's not functioning and moving the way that it's intended to move, there are going to be compensations that are going to lead to some sort of dysfunction that could eventually lead to more issues down the road. Without a doubt. Again, either, you know, fix it now or fix it later. Yeah. But either way, it's, it's good. You're going to fix it, right? Just fix it. That's what we need to just, we need a shirt. Just fix it. Instead of just do it, just fix it. I'm on it. Hey, you know what? Maybe that's it. <laughs> right. So now we'll talk about the how. So the tension from that lower leg, as we talk, put the foot in the ground, tension comes up through the bicep femoris into the sacral tuberous ligament and through the erector spinae. This creates a force that assists in stabilizing the sacro uh, iliac joint. So again, people have a lot of low back issues. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reasons why, but one of the reasons could be what goes on when you put your foot in the ground. Another force couple or when muscles on both sides of the body fire the joint fire mentioned in the deep longitudinal subsystem consists of the superficial rector spinae, the psoas, and the intrinsic core stabilizers are transverse abdominis and multifidus. So again, if you don't have a stable core, how are you going to walk? How are you going to run? How are you going to do any of these things? That's why, again, going back to the model, we start from the inside out in a way that we have to find that intervertebral stability before we work on the global muscles that most of our clients want to do. And then, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and I'm just going to say too, when we talk about the psoas guys, and I, I will remember, um, I, do you remember the shows where they had, you know, the, the anatomy people where you would go in, you know, the human, I, I don't know the name of the show. Oh, the actual, you'd go and they'd have all the different cadavers doing different yes. poses. Yeah. Yes. And they'd have them retracted. So you're around all these dead people. They were amazing yes. to they me. Fascinating. So, Cause they would, it was fascinating. Do different and, cuts in different positions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and to me, I learned so much looking at that, but one of the, right. the muscles that stood out to me the most and one that I took for granted because I think, oh, a psoas, it's really kind of, you know, it's it's a hip flexor, but it kind of goes through the gut somewhere. I never put it together until I actually saw it. And guys, literally that psoas attaches to all of your lumbar spine, pretty much comes through your midsection and it is a hip flexor. And so when it when it is overactive, it's pulling your lumbar in and down which again, think about that anterior pelvic tilt as well. So is that one of the primary reasons that people have an anterior pelvic tilt? Yes, um, it is. But it's, a, you know, some of this stuff when we, we get scared with anatomy, but it can be fascinating if you go to different places and you look outside of a textbook. Um, so if you get a chance to look at a cadaver or, you know, I did an internship 
um, in my at my, my university where I got to know some of the surgeons and they let me watch what they were doing. I, again, love that stuff. Um, I know I'm pretty cheesy like that, but you know, I'm sitting there just watching what they were doing, fascinating by or fascinated by this. And when you start to see how big these muscles are that we're talking about and how much force can, you know, can be produced when it's not in the right, you know, not in an ideal length. It is, right. it's crazy. Well, that's why there's those force couple relationships, right? Do, yeah. do things on both sides of the body play nice. You can have massive strength and hypertrophy, but that doesn't mean you have good function, right? You're, you're dysfunctional at a stronger level. But again, just because somebody has massive strength doesn't mean they move unnecessarily biomechanically correct. So you'll see here the final point when he's already talked about this. So the erector spine and so was create that lumbar extension, which is an anterior tilt. And so we're looking at excessive. We don't, you know, the sum is okay, but we we're looking at excessive creates that anterior shear force through the lower lumbar L4 through S1 during functional movement. The local muscular system provides that intersegmental stability and a posterior shear force to keep the body in a safe position. So if you don't have that and you start to run and jump and do this, this is where the low back and uh, sacroiliac joint instability can show up. Yeah. And I mean, one of the main purposes why we train the core like we do, as Marty talked about, the local muscular system, or you guys have heard me talk about intervertebral stability. Those are the very small muscles that actually go from vertebrae to vertebrae. So your planks, your bird dog, your bridges, anything that does not move the spine, but teaches you how to draw in, you know, squeeze your glutes, um, even, you know, hollowing out or, you know, they'll talk about bracing, anything of, of that nature to help those muscles contract first. That's most important because if those aren't strong and then you start adding all this crazy movement and then adding weight with that movement, then that's when we start to see the bulging discs or we start to see compression that shouldn't be in certain areas that can lead to a lot of issues down the road. And, and you hear all these disc replacements now, and now they're, you know, taking, um, you know, your, your vertebrae and they're, um, you know, uh, bringing fusing. it, fusing. I was like, what's the word I'm looking for? They're fusing it together. And, and a lot of that can, it, it's based, you know, a lot of that's happening because of improper movement patterns for a long period of time. And that's another thing about what we do in our industry is we can have a huge impact and keep a lot of people out of surgery by just getting the right muscles to fire at the right time and starting simple. Everybody wants to train the sexy muscles first. And while those are important because summer's on its way, if you don't get the little ones to fire, then you're really not going to look or feel as good as you could when you start to add that, that motion. So train the small guys first because you're going to have better luck when you add movement and they're going to feel better and they're definitely going to look better. Right. Well said, Wendy. Thanks, man. Every once in a while. <laughs> you did it. Did you want to go through the key takeaways? Absolutely. So Marty Miller and I have spent a lot of time talking about the deep longitudinal sus subsystem here on master or the master instructor roundtable today. And I think the, the big you know, takeaways that we have or we wanted to stress was you really want to look at someone's assessment first. Because when you've assessed your clients and then you see how they move, then you're going to be able to see, are they properly activating the deep longitudinal subsystem? You know, and Marty's big thing that he says, and we've talked about this multiple times, are you training movements or are you training muscles? And if you're training muscles, that's fantastic. We do that, especially if they're not activating correctly. But then you want to re 
um, integrate it back into movement because we move in life. We don't just sit around and do a bicep curl. When we go to grab something that we're going to curl up, we usually lean forward and then we're moving other muscles in order to do whatever that primary movement is of that single joint. So add some multi, you know, um, you know, multi muscles and movements in your programming. Um, it takes less time. You're going to get more out of it. And you're actually doing a, a lot for your client. Um, you can implement training in, of the deep longitudinal subsystems in all phases of training of your client. You know, start simple and then go more complex. When they can do complex, start adding weight and then start adding some powerful movements. The single leg hop to hold, that's a great one. That's a great one because you're teaching, again, landing mechanics. But if you're looking at kind of the way that we've structured it, that would be more suited for a balance exercise and power. However, can you start to implement that sooner? Absolutely, as long as no compensations exist. And then, you know, the big thing that I always ask people, and I know Marty, you do as well, but do you have ex exercises that are properly going to challenge your client's abilities when you're training this particular subsystems? And do you have those exercises kind of blocked out and when it would be most appropriate to program it? Not saying you can't change it up because again, we've talked about that, but you don't want to progress a client too soon. And that's, we often think our client will get bored. If they're getting bored, then you're doing something wrong. Because I, I could stay in a phase of training for eight to 10 weeks if I had to, and they're not feeling bored because I change it up all the time. We do different planes of motion. We're focusing on other things. I make it super challenging by utilizing the tempo, the five kinetic chain checkpoints, and also, you know, one minute, one a minute they're doing a dumbbell or a cable or their body weight or the ball. Um, so, you know, you can be extremely creative, but again, it always needs to make sense. No, well said. And, you know, I think that hopefully after our introduction that we did a couple weeks back, you can go find uh, where we talked about all four subsystems at a high level. And now that we took that deep dive, pun intended on this one, hopefully it starts to make sense and starts to come around where these things are becoming more clear. And as we said at the beginning, if you missed it, please go back that we will be over the next couple weeks, we will be going into the other subsystems as well. But this was fun, Marty. Without a doubt, you want to talk about where they can get a hold of you. Absolutely. If you guys, uh, again, you have topics, you have ideas. We are, we are, we we are welcome, welcome. We are asking for you to send them our way. <laughs> we want to welcome them. How about that? <laughs> Jeez. Um, I need apparently more coffee or something, but you can always email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then our wonderful producer, Eric, will put mine up there. As you see here, marty.miller at nasm.org. Then Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So Wendy, thanks so much. And everyone that was watched it today, thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you again and another Master Instructor Roundtable very soon. Mm -hmm.